0: a long-time sales leader with a specialty of growing teams and revenue for smaller startup firms. He was awarded the accolade of UK Sales Director of the Year by BESMA, which stands for British Excellence in Sales Management Awards, and was listed in the top 50 sales keynote speakers by Top Sales World in 2019 and 2020. Ian has been a regular judge on the Women in Sales Awards, VISA. Top Sales Awards, Desma, and the UK Cloud Awards. In today's episode, let us chat with him on how marginal gains will help in making big leap forward for your business. Interesting topic, isn't it? This is the Guiding Voice podcast series, the Guiding Voice for a Better Future. Friends, I'm your host, Navin Samala, just a fellow IT professional on a mission to shape the careers and lives of millions across the globe. Through the Guiding Voice, we drive conversations that matter, conversations that add value to your life and to your career. You know, successful leaders across the globe share their knowledge and wisdom through our platform, and our audience will acquire more knowledge by tuning into the Guiding Voice podcast per every minute than any other podcast in this space. Thank you so much for joining me today, and we are extremely pleased to have Ian part of our journey. Ian, I'm super excited to have you join me today. Hearty welcome to the Guiding Voice.
1: Navin, Ple- pleased to be here and thank you for the opportunity and the invite. Uh, appreciate it.
0: Pleasure to have you, Ian. And without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Maybe can you briefly talk about your career journey with our
1: audience? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll keep it short because I'm sure people don't want to hear uh, too, too much detail and hours of detail. But I started off um, as uh, getting involved in, uh, in technology. Uh, way, way back when I was at school and someone uh, someone moved in locally and had a, a simple computer at the time and I was just hooked. So originally I joined uh, IBM as a programmer analyst and I was a techie programming and coding things and then I saw an opportunity to join an inside sales role at a technology company. I knew nothing about sales but I figured at that point uh, in my head was well I know what I'm talking about, how hard can it be right? uh, and there's an opportunity to um, progress my career and earn more money and, and be, be more successful so I joined as inside sales I was promoted to field sales within 11 months and i was still a lot to learn of course and then over time um, I went from being in field sales to managing people and, and I would say I went to managing and then later on leadership and I think there was a difference that comes from experience I'm still learning today, right? I'm a bag-carrying salesperson in some roles. When I join companies, uh, I'm hands-on. I've managed large European teams and and done a number of startups and helped them uh, grow and progress their business. Excellent. Seems to be quite an interesting
0: journey because you started as a techie and now ended up in sales and coaching sales and especially those in the startup world. And I'm really curious to understand the top three things that have helped you to be successful in your professional life so far.
1: Sure, and there's probably a lot, right? But but simple ones, I think, uh, receptiveness to learning, to always be learning, always be looking for what don't you know uh, and, and learning from people around you and the people you meet, which is great in a customer-facing role because you get lots of opportunity to be in different scenarios. Tenacity, for sure. And with that comes the, I guess, I guess, the commitment and and the work ethic, and 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 I put those maybe as two things: tenacity, the, the willingness to keep going, but putting the hard work in. You know, certainly when I moved from te- being a more tech technology-led person to a sales side of the business, the one thing I did at that point was I realised, you know what? I, there's, I I don't know more than I know. I've been mean, given the opportunity to be in sales. So I made up for that by working every hour that was possible to make, you know, my view was if, if I put, let's pick a number, if I put an extra hour in a day, let's do it now. And this is sort of leads us into marginal gains a little bit. So small steps. Right? If, if I did an hour a day more than the next salesperson, I get five hours a week, 20 hours a month, you know, multiply it up 200 hours a year, figure out how much extra selling time I get um, simply by doing that. Now, if they're better than me at sales, do I make up for it by just putting some more effort in? Do I balance that out a little bit? And if I then continue to learn, if I use that extra hour a day perhaps to learn, how much better am I at the end of the year? How much better am I for next year? And I still put an hour in, so it's more productive. So it's that doing lots of small things repeatedly that makes a big difference.
0: Doing a lot of small things repeatedly makes a lot of difference. I think this ties back with your... uh power of marginal gains. So how do we explain this power of marginal gains to the layman?
1: Sure. And, and, and I sort of led into an example before you asked that question, right? But so I started doing this thing, marginal gains, before realizing what it was uh, or, or even that it was called that. But with hindsight now, what's the best example where this was used? So it, where, where this is spoken about the most and the biggest example that I've come across is, is the British cycling team um, was sort of doing okay but they had a new coach come in and the, and a new team to how are we going to make them be better and they couldn't there was no epiphany there was no and I say this in sales and we'll give that example in a second but there wasn't anything that person coming in could do that was going to be a massive changing event right that people hadn't done before there wasn't oh my gosh I can just do this and we're going to be 10 times better but what he did is he looked at the whole that old ethos of cycling all the components of being successful and identified all those components lots of small things, and then said, right, if we can move the dial a marg- marginally move the dial on each of those, or as many of them as is possible, they compound to a far greater outcome. So for example, y- you can't change the tires or whatever, but he realized one of the examples was, well, at the beginning of a, uh, one of those track cycling races, the car- tires are cold. you have less grip, so you can go slightly slower. If we can heat the tyres, we warm the tyres up before we start the race, Do we not gain a marginal on that first lap and that first couple of laps? If we can change the pedals slightly to take a little bit of weight out, and he did that again and again and again, looked at everything and said, what could we do differently here that's a very small thing and make a small difference? But because he did that, All of those things came together and they won gold medal after gold medal after gold medal. So it was the whole concept is not trying to change the world, not trying to climb Everest the mountain. It's what small things, what small steps can we take that are achievable that people believe in? So when I join a company, first thing I do is assimilate what's going on. What are the metrics that are important in sales? What's the average deal value? What's the momentum? What's the win ratio? You know what's the loss? How many do we win? What's the average? Because the whole goal, of course, of me coming in as a sales leader is, well, I'm gonna move the dial. I wanna, we, we want to get better results. But I don't have this golden key that magically says I can come in and tell you how to do one thing. This one magical thing that's a secret that no one's ever figured out before that only I know. No, what it's about is I look at all of the metrics and what's going on today, and I look for. Where can we make small improvements? So, for example, if, if, the, if the average uh, transaction value is five thousand two hundred pounds, okay. What I'm not going to do is say to them, "Great, let's make that fifty thousand pounds next month." Anyway, where's that coming from? What I'm looking at is assimilating what's gone on and figuring out what is an achievable amount. Is it six thousand pounds or is it seven thousand? And what do we want to do over the next three months? Six, nine, twelve. So it isn't setting something that the people, the salespeople that can't buy into. It's guys. OK, guys and girls, we're doing 5000 average deal value. Here's some things I've seen that we could do better uh, with a goal to get our average deal value to 6000 pounds by the end of this quarter. Do we think that's achievable? And if you've assimilated stuff, you've got to pick your numbers and, and it, it make it relative. I'm using a, a virtual example Is people are going to. go, Yeah. Yeah, we could push for that. Now, if at the end of that you've got to you've moved that dial, you've just got an increase in your average deal value, right? So even doing the same number of transactions, you're better off in performance than you were in the previous quarter. And then it's how do we get that from six thousand to seven thousand, or seven to eight to ten, etc. Do, do we do we change the structure of the pricing? There's lots of things that might contribute to this. Um, the sale of execution. If I can make you marginally better in in your opening statement or your value statement or something, whatever there are all these different things you can change. If I can improve it slightly, is it not going to have an impact on the customer that could mean we win one more deal a quarter? So how many deals do we win a, a month, a quarter, a week a day depending on the type of business? What's the average deal value? How many what's the win rate? are oh, we win one in five? Okay? Do you think we by doing some change we could get to one in four, not one in two. Let's be realistic. Let's let's try and move the dial to one in four by better qualifying the, track, the deals, by better change marketing maybe, so that we take out a lot of the noise of stuff we're getting that isn't appropriate or wasting time on, so we can spend more time on the ones that we do win. What what What's our ideal customer look like? Well, let's focus more on that than this noise we're getting perhaps, and, and get less leads, but get more that appropriate that we have a higher win rate in. So if you can do that, think about this. It's You know, you move the deal value up a little bit over the first quarter, you increase the win rate, okay, so with less effort, more more effectiveness, you're going to get a better performance, a better outcome, a better number, but there's no magic to it. It's about identifying small changes you can make, and lots of them, that all compound to give you a better result, and also to get the, the people involved buy in and believe it's achievable because they're the ones that have to deliver those changes right it, well, those changes can come through change of process can come through just understanding something differently and focusing on different things it isn't just it can be through coaching it's a combination of different things to achieve the identified changes that are going to make a difference to move the relevant dials a number of them that then compound together to give you a better result It's what marginal gains is about. It's about not trying to climb the mountain of Everest and say, right, guys, we're climbing Everest. It's about saying, right, today we're going to get to base camp. We're going to to walk to this point. Okay, tomorrow we're going to do this much climbing and we're going to put one foot in front of the other. and We're going to get this far. It's breaking it down into smaller things that are achievable. So I might say to a team, we're going to increase the deal value. The target in Q1 is to get to 6K. I think in Q2, we're going to target to get it to 7.5, Q3, and I'm making this up as an example, obviously, You know, with a goal that at the end of the year, we've doubled the average deal value. And this is how I think we can do it. And we're going to change some things here and whatever and getting people to buy. Now, often, here's what often happens. Some of the marginal gate things you, you've identified, you hit far quicker. So the first quarter, you don't get to 6K average deal value to get to 6.8. You're not going to get to 20, but you get to a higher number on the journey. But another one, like the win ratio, maybe you didn't get to four out of one. You got to 4.7 of five instead of four out of five. So and that's nat- natural. But it doesn't matter. because you, What you've done is said, we're going to step the game up in small ways and all these things. We're going to improve ourselves. and All the areas. We Let's identify all the things that, that contribute to this. Let's all brainstorm. Some of it comes from my experience sometimes that things I've done in the past and I, and I can see things. But I encourage everyone, because everyone's had a different journey and experience. Team, you've been here this long. What would you do to, to increase this or to, uh, to to mean that our average close isn't 60 days? We can bring that down to 50 days. What would you do that means we can close it? Quick? Oh, well, the problem we get is when we try and get a, a configuration from the, from the engineering team, it always delays us 10 days. OK, so if we could reduce that by a margin maybe it's eight days average instead of 10, we could, that would contribute towards closing it quicker, what else? So it isn't just coming from yourself, it's about cultivating and pulling out from people ideas that can contribute towards small gains. And most people have those in their head, right? If you ask them for, tell me, tell me, Joe, tell me, tell tell me, Sally, how do we get our deal value from 10K to 50K? Right. But if you say, how could we move it from 10 to 11? Most people come up with lots of small ideas because it feels like it's achievable and small things will have an impact. Yep. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. You can execute against marginal gains far quicker. People will believe in them. People will commit to them. And it's far easier to deliver them. And it works. I've done it in company after company. It works.
0: Yeah. It's uh, interesting and I love the concept. I can relate that to the uh, field that I'm in, the business transformation, implementing Lean Six Sigma and all. We have a concept called Kaizen, which is a small improvement. Like uh, We recommend people to focus on small improvements and repeatedly do that so that uh, they can achieve or strive towards perfection. And it makes absolute sense to me. And uh, as you said, it will not scare in case if you are giving highest target which is uh, sounds so scary and all compared to <laughs> small uh, target, which is kind of incremental. People would come up with a lot of ideas. Yeah, very well explained. Thank you for those details. Let's talk about uh, this aspect: sell more with uh, less margin versus sell less with uh, huge margin, and which one is suitable for what type of business or service?
1: Yeah, I think both have their place. Right, it depends on the on the nature of your business, and it depends on. Yeah, I often talk to businesses who i've seen businesses who want to sell in volume they've got a great technology and they want to go mass with it and when i've looked and assimilated what what the challenges are sometimes it, it it's not to do with the product or whatever it's it's typically to do with how frictionless you can engage with your customers because if you're going to deal if you're going to do low margin right you need volume it, it you know there's a difference it, it comes with the lower the margin you've got, the more volume you need to achieve because you're operating on such a small margin. And, but to do that, you've got to be efficient because the cost in your business at low margin doesn't warrant you. For example, if I'm selling a software product, which I need to demonstrate, and the average transaction value is $30 and I need to demonstrate it every time and then have multiple calls with them. It doesn't work. That needs to be a self-serve model with automated videos, with automated self-help, with, with self-provisioning, where the customer can come to a website, look at it, learn stuff, not have to speak to any. And You might have live chat. You might, you might facilitate something like that where an agent can do five or six live chats at the same time, but the live chats are the exception, not the rule. So they're there to support when needed, but but you reduce them by self-serve. If you can't do that, you've got to move up the the margin chain, right? And it doesn't mean it has to be high margin, but you've got to get the balance right um, and decide where does the solution or service you have fit and what type of customer does it address and how are you going to deliver it? So you might have a product or service that can address big big companies and transactional small companies. And you might say, well, look, we're going to go after everything. Well, you can't treat them all the same. If you're going to go after the mass market, and the more you go down that, the bigger market, which is you know the long tail of small, smaller transactions, you've got to have it in a self-serve model. You know, the lower, further you get to that, the more self-serve and frictionless it's got to be for you and the customer. You can't have manual processes. You can't have it that they submit a form and then someone has to do a load of manual work because you can't scale it. Because every time you hit a certain threshold, you need to employ more people. You know, you've got to use automation. The more you move up the margin chain, the more you can afford to have the personal touch, to have humans involved, to have me jumping on, uh, talking to you like this and, and uh, etc., cetera um, and doing a demonstration. And then you, you want in another demonstration to the senior execs in your team. Well, you know, does that justify? And, and I've been a non-exec of another number of companies where I've talked them through this and just got them in a room and pushed them hard on, where would you play? Because too many people say, well, where's your product fit or service fit? Oh, we could sell to anyone. Okay, you could, but how are you going to scale your business? Where's your sweet spot? And it might be the mid-market. It might be not mass market. It might be very, you know, transactional. or It might be few deals a year, but high, high, you know, selectively winning those larger deals at high margin, as you indicate. You know, you don't have to serve all of them just because your product could could serve them. It's got to be down to what the processes are and how frictionless um, and how efficient you can be, and that will de- determine where you fit. Otherwise, what ends up happening? I've seen this: is I've joined a number of businesses where one of my goals has been they haven't been quite in the in the full transactional model, but they've been doing a lot of small deals. And I've looked at it and gone, you know, it, it's got you where you are, but if you want to scale this business, we've got to move up. That the average deal value's got to move up, guys. And at, at some point, you've got to draw a line and say anything below, and I'll pull something out of the software world, anything below 10 seats, 10 licenses, you don't transact. So you might say, OK, our minimum license is 10, whereas previously you might have been selling a three license, a two, a four, a five, a one. Problem with that is those smaller businesses, you've still got to support them. And often what a business has done is set up in a model that is, is generic. So it will support any customer the same. So everyone can phone in and get support. If you've got a customer who's bought three licenses off you at, at, at a value but gets the same level of support, and, and I get why in a startup company, you want to you help everyone and be, be great and your reputation, but you can't afford to serve as a pre-user business like a 300-user customer. You can. A 300-user customer spent a lot more money with you. So you have to, to, to categorize customers, categorize what, serve, what, what interaction they get, what level of support they get, what costs they can impose on your business, relative to the investment they make in your business, or you automate, right? You you can't if you can have automated self-help support for those smaller companies, maybe you have that for the smaller business, but you've got to handle this. You've got to have a pragmatic and proactive way of addressing this. You cannot just trundle along. So I've helped a lot of businesses move their average deal value up, structure their customer profiling, and structure what services and what you do and don't give to customers and to make them more efficient therefore to be able to scale the business
0: that's great uh, I, I i loved all the insights shared and uh, moving to my next question again this is uh, tying back to the marginal gains right uh, in general that's what true. are the metrics that uh, we should focus on while uh, working on improving the marginal gains
1: Sure, and it will vary business to business, but the, the the common ones, and I think I've already mentioned, but let's be clear about them, is the average deal value, and 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 how, as I've just mentioned, and how you and, and the cost of sale to service that, and that's from the full life cycle, from quote to cash. Because if you're doing, let me let me cite that one. If you're doing small deal values, and you man, and you're invoicing them and chasing money on them and everything at, at, the, at the cash point, that's going to cost the business. You know, often businesses find that the average deal value, there's a point where it's costing them more to transact than the value of the deal. So if that customer doesn't renew with them in year two and three, by the time they've paid out sales commissions and the cost of sale of onboarding that customer, they've lost money in year one. That's a common problem businesses face when they actually assimilate this. So what is the average deal value? The, The win rate is absolutely a critical one. And that that falls into the the discussion, which is a whole other area around sales and marketing conflict. You know, marketing is often targeted to generate as many leads as they can, pump them to sales and sales is is, is targeted to close them. Well, is marketing aligned with sales to give them the right profile of lead? I don't, as a sales leader, I don't want marketing to give me 500 leads unless all 500 leads meet my ideal customer profile. And you've got to define that. Who is the best type of customer I sell to? And that might be they're in a certain vertical, multiple vertical industries. And I don't know, customers who are in X, Y, Z industry are really bad for us because we lose nine out of 10 of them. There might be a reason for that. right? But don't give me 100 of those leads in an industry where nine out of 10 of them I lose because we don't have certain metrics. We have a competitor in that industry who has some things that that industry wants that we don't. Let's identify where do we win the best and serve the customer best? What's our ideal customer profile? And marketing, give me people who meet that. Give me 500 of those leads or 100 of those leads. Fantastic. Don't give me 500 leads where only 100 of them are in my CP because that will mean a couple of things. One, that my win rate will not be as best as it can be. Two, we'll be burning an awful lot of sales cycles and effort, potentially speaking to people, to tick a box in the CRM, back to marketing that sales did its job i don't want marketing complaining that we've put these leads over oh they haven't been followed up properly, or you're not closing a good ratio you should be working together right to maximize the efficiency of your win rate because if you give me all the ones and i'm my win rate there that's the easiest way of moving your win rate up if my win rate is one in six and i can move it to two in four or two in five guess what we generate more revenue and work with them to identify the size of customer you want as part of the ICP, the ideal customer profile. Because if you give me more 30, making this up, 30 user opportunities than five user ones, guess what, the average deal value have got, if they're my ICP, my win rate goes up, 30 user deals, sales is better off, we put more effort in. I always ask salespeople, right, if you, if you win a smaller deal and you've put a ton of effort in, are you high-fiving and ringing the bell and celebrating? No what you're doing is taking a uh, you're relieved because of all the effort you put in you are just relieved, thank god for that that i act you know because if you'd lost it what a waste of time if you win a larger one yeah you do high five right that should tell you something where you focus your time so that win rate the other one would be the momentum of the deal what's our average time on different types of customer to win if it takes us on average 63 days from first interaction of a lead to close a deal, what's causing that? Is it internal process? Is it uh, sales execution? Is it lack of sales uh, tools for the salespeople? Something causing it. How do we reduce that as a marginal gain? And it might, might, you know, perfect world is you reduce it down to a day, right? Everyone's love that is you get a lead and you get the order next day. But what's realistic? If it's 63 days, if I can reduce it to pick a number out of the air, 50 days, It means we're doing quote-to-cash quicker. We're collecting cash quicker. Therefore, if you go 50 days, 50 days, the further you move in, you've closed more deals sooner. So your numbers go up quicker, right? So it's a combination of all all these metrics. And there'll be different metrics in different businesses, right? Churn rate's an important one to look at because if you're churning customers, the the bucket's leaking while you're pouring water into it, it's leaking at the bottom. I'd suggest you fix the leak at the bottom. You, all you're doing is you know putting effort in to lose them later, so that's another important metric to look at you know what's your churn rate so there's lots of me- metrics you can look at how many how many touches does it take on average how many demos does it take if that's part, if that's relevant to your business on average how many customer visits does it take can you, how, how can you reduce each of the metrics where applicable? The perfect world is one phone call with the customer it's great and they place an order. But if your product has to be demoed, don't create a false metric or a false target of marginal gain to say we want to we want to try and have lots of de- lots of wins with no demos. If that's part of it, that's fine. But if your average is you have to do five demos per client, why is that? Can we reduce it to four? Because that has a impact on the salesperson, on the business, on the engineer or whoever does it. right? How do we create a more efficient model? Sometimes things you can't reduce it. Don't reduce it for the sake of doing it and break something. Right? It might be that one of those metrics takes that much effort because that's why you win the deals, because your competition will only ever give one demo. But because you will give two or three, that is one of the metrics that's saying that's where you have your win rate. So you've got to listen to salespeople people, and listen to your customers and figure out, don't just treat it as a numbers game. You've got to really assimilate and understand your business and all the metrics and then figure out from those learnings and have conversations with people and figure out what can we tune. Don't do it explicitly that you've got to move every metric. Do the ones that are the correct ones to move and then focus on them. Make it small steps and then all work together in the right, same direction.
0: Quite uh, informative. And um, now let's talk about your journey as a sales leader, and you happen to coach and mentor a lot of startups in this area. So what are some common mistakes that people in sales are making and how can they avoid in order to uh, get benefit of these marginal gains?
1: Sure. So what, I guess as sales coaching, execution, sales skills, the biggest marginal gain... That I see consistently, that I would pick on from a sales leader point of view in terms of a sales mistake would be questioning. You talk to salespeople, anyone that's been doing sales for a while, and and I I interview a lot of salespeople. As you mentioned, some of the awards where I judge and and have the benefit to interview a lot of salespeople who are up for awards and and in that process. Uh, But I also interview a lot of salespeople who are are looking interviewing as part of a job process. it's interesting when i ask them you know uh, simple things you know wh- where do you think you could be better what what skills would you like to expand on or get training on or be coached on what, what you know give me a film the co- you know common things that come up are complex stuff well i'd like to know more about uh, uh, you know enterprise negotiation skills um all, all they come up with all these illustrious things very rarely does someone say I really want to be better at, and they name only the basics. And for me, it's questioning. Most salespeople, I think, are average. And apologies to anyone listening, but a lot of people listening will say that's not me. And unfortunately, some of those people, it will be, is questioning. Okay, because salespeople have been taught methodologies which are fundamentally okay, but how they execute them or interpret them is not. So there are, you know, there's loads banned. Um, Scotsman's spin has, I can keep I can challenge a sale and keep going on and on and on but if we take band, not not for any particular reason just that it's simple to quickly describe as an example budget authority need time scale. so so people at all uh, you know you need to find these things out and this is why and here's questions to ask right and invariably what I've seen is salespeople will in their own way ask you um, Naveen, as a prospective client, they go, you know, have you, uh, you know, what what sort of budget have you got for this? And Naveen says, well, I've got 17 and a half K for this. Write that down. Uh, and, and when are you looking to get it done by? When are you looking to get this project in by? Well, we're thinking, you know, by end of November. Um, so they, they ask those sort of questions. I'll get the, the details and great. I've done a good job. Right. I always position them. OK, so if if I if I know. 10 things more about the customer's details and information, key information, do you think I'm in a better place to win? Or to decide to not play, to qualify myself out and not waste my time? Well, yeah, you are. If I know 20 more things, better? Yeah. Okay. So, Navin, that budget of 17 and a half K, help me understand, what, why that number? Where's that number come from? Yeah. Oh, well, that's because that's what we spent on the last product that that, that we use and we've we're, you know we're looking to okay what was the last product of it and why are you looking to change it okay but if you find something so you've illustrated there there's some challenges with it. it doesn't fit your business it's not helping you scale now what you need to do if the solution to help you achieve what you're trying to achieve the reason you're changing is da, 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 and you've told me great and that's gonna have a bit, what, impact on your business of this if the solution to do that costs more than 17 and a half k does that mean you wouldn't choose it no not at all okay so guess what happens? One salesman goes back and tries to quote an, or configure their solution around a 17.5K budget. I come back to you and it might be a 40K budget, Nevin, because I've discussed it with you and I can illustrate with you the value I've got to achieve the goal while you're doing this. And I'm not worried about you said it's 17.5K because I've said to you in the meeting, look, Navin, I think we're going to end up being 30, 35, 40K. Is that going to scare you off? Because if it does, tell me now. But I'm not going to discount my product to 17 and a half. But tell me now, because I think we, we can do what you want, that gonna have that impact and grow your business by the 20% you need next year, make you, you successful and make you a champion for this. I think we can do that. Are we still in the game? Yeah, you're, yeah, 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 we can still do that. Great. Salesman A finds out six months or three months, whenever it is down the line, um, and has to explain to his boss why competitors want it. It was always more expensive than you. Why does that happen? What did I do differently? All I did was ask more questions. Right. When you said the timescale, we want it in by the end of November. But if it doesn't happen by the end of November, what happens? What's the consequence? Oh, well, this and this. And this. So it could as it slipped before. Yeah, it could. Yeah, we looked at it. But great. I know stuff now different. The more I know that the competition doesn't know, I'm in a better place. I may not. It may not mean I win the deal. It may mean I actually say to you, Naveen, we're not the right solution for you. I don't want to waste you an hour time by coming down and seeing you because this is re- the reason being right but that's professional selling and that's fundamentally a basic i've just coached you on how to do it right it needs more coaching than that but the number of sales that don't do that and i've constantly with my salespeople, they'll come in and i've got one that has worked for me many times before and i remember many a time when he would come into the office and say great okay, and i'd say something to him like that and, and i'd say well but why is it why why are they looking to do it then and he'd tell me he'd go no i knew you were going to ask that Tell me the answer, right? And i would ask another question. I'll unpeel the onion again. he need answer it. And then i would ask another one. He'd go, oh, all right. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll co- coach them by asking them about an opportunity and ask the next question. And often what happens, the salesperson will go, got it, got it, got it. Ah, oh, okay, there's another one. That's great. Here's the next thing salespeople don't do as a final point on this matter. So there's something they miss. Go and phone the customer back and say, Dave, we had that conversation. We, I, I met with you yesterday. I hope you don't mind. I have made a mistake. I'd like to yeah. apologize. What? What? I'd like to apologize because there's, I should have asked something and I didn't ask it. Do you know what? They're going to say to you, don't, you don't need to apologize. What's the question? And you ask the question and get the answer. I should have asked this. You said this. I've been going, you know, I've been going through my notes. I've looked through my notes from our meeting yesterday and, and apologies, but I, I should have asked you. There's a couple of things I should have asked you that I didn't ask. And they're going to let you ask it, right? And they're also going to think, wow. This person's more professional than the others because not only have they asked more questions in the first meeting and, and, and challenged me and been more interested, but they've come back to me when they've realized there's some other stuff they should ask. They're, in, they're, they're really keen on doing the right thing for me. And I've got another time to interact with a customer. I've had salespeople go, oh, I couldn't. When they realize they, they missed something, they have, they have no thought to phone them back and ask again. It's like, why oh, I met with them. Yes, oh, I should have asked that. Yeah. Go and do, we'll go and fix it. You met with them, right? Or you had a call with them. They're going to let you speak with them, it's particularly if you say, oh, I want to apologize because I've, made, I've let myself down. What? I should have asked you the question then. It's professional. It's so basic. And that's a marginal gain you can get easily across every salesperson in your business.
0: Fantastic. All right. So this has been fabulous conversation so far, but let's add some spice to the episode. I'm going to kick off a quick rapid fire round with your consent, Ian. <laughs>
1: okay, go on
0: all you need to do is just answer them crisply in a word or a maximum one phrase and uh, all right so let me move ahead with the first bullet what was your childhood fantasy
1: Ian okay well the job I wanted to have when I was a child was I wanted to be a stuntman in the movies I loved skateboarding and stuff like that and and seeing what they did in the movies and yeah that would be that would be my answer to that one
0: (laughs) interesting (laughs) what is one best piece of advice that you have received so far
1: Okay, that's an easy one. I've spoken about this before. Is uh, and I remember the 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 my uh, sales leader boss that uh, said this to me. And in, in the and in the circumstance was don't boil the ocean. Don't try and do everything to the best degree. I I was I'd run around and try and do everything. He said, look, because because he used to get a thousand emails a day, right, from everyone because he was very accessible. And he said, here's what I do. I focus on the ones that matter, um, and I delete my. He was extreme. So you know, every month I clean I delete my inbox. And if it's important, they will send it again. Right? I can't deal with everything. I can't touch everything. Yeah. So I pick the things that are most important. They're here. Everything else is noise. And I get that done. If, if yeah. that when that's done, I can look at other stuff. But I focus on the important things. I don't try and bore the ocean. I don't try and do everything and get nothing done.
0: Yeah. That is a powerful one. And uh, moving to the next question, what is one life-changing incident that changed your perspective, Jan?
1: I think, um, yeah, this is there's a few I could do here. I would say the death of my first son, a stillborn, because it made made you realise straight away work didn't matter, right? Work wasn't important, and it made you real me realise the life balance and that family is important, and you know, work is work. What
0: is one uh, must read book from your site that you recommend?
1: Okay, I'm going to pick one from actually a, fr- a friend, a, an author, a friend of mine that I got to know is, uh, so Social Selling by a guy called Tim Hughes. You know, the world of selling has changed and, and that's about how the biodynamic has changed. And it, It's very readable, very digestible and you, and you just get it, right? It's not rocket science, but it just, for most salespeople, it gives them a few angles and, and thoughts that they hadn't had before from the traditional salesman.
0: Oh, sure. Social selling, right? That That's a uh, great uh, rapid fire so far. And uh, let me find the last bullet. What is one electronic gadget that you'd like to see or invent yourself?
1: Something, and I don't know how it formats itself, but something that would better protect and manage and control children on electronic devices. The bane of my life is seeing, you know, our kids have electronic devices when they get to a certain age, but that not all the time right it and certainly on holiday sat at the dinner table they are not there on their phone they're interacting with us and socializing and talking and or playing a card game or they're drawing it's something that could better protect children from the applications on phones and the usage levels i know there's tools on there but i don't think they're good enough today yeah i think we hear too many horror stories in that area that, that proves that right there needs yeah. to be better responsibility from the tech providers yeah. To enable parental control or, or, or ai control yeah. to protect children from all the stuff that goes
0: on indeed it is a universal problem and definitely if somebody can come with a solution that would help immensely <laughs> all right that was great rapid fire round and let us flip back to the mainstream and before i let you go one final question for today's conversation sure. ian what will be your one piece of advice to those aspiring to make begin their careers or lives you can pick either of them
1: the biggest one for me, I guess, is 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 tenacity and work ethic. Because what, I've always said, you know, when you don't, I'm still learning. Right? I'm still learning stuff today, uh, even though I've been doing what I do a long time, and I still work hard. It's not taking it for granted, right? It is create your own destiny. And too often I hear people, here's a phrase I've learned over the years, too often I hear people who will say, I'm not doing that. I'm not working harder until they pay me to do it. I'm not, I'm not doing that because I'm not paid enough. Well, guess what? It's a vicious loop. You probably never will be because I've heard lots of examples and I've witnessed it where someone works harder than they should do. And you look at it and go, well, why are they putting that effort in? Why are they, why are they making all that effort? Why are they standing out? And why aren't they just doing what all the others do and just, you know, turning the chair? Well, guess what? When an opportunity comes, guess who's spotted? guess who gets given that opportunity and then the others moan about well that's not fair why do they get it right it's you create your own you know you never know who's watching you never know who's going to see you doing something I heard a story I'll finish on this I heard a story recently where someone in business saw someone that went into kept going into a coffee shop and saw a young lady in there and was always more interactive with the clients more cheerful going the extra mile and he employed her. He took her out of that business into another business because he said, "I'm going to give her an opportunity. She, can't, she doesn't know this other job, but I'm going to see if she wants the opportunity." Because look, look at this. She was she shone out, right? So an opportunity came to her. Not because she wasn't doing it. She didn't know who anyone was, but because she made the best of her job and worked harder than the other people around her and interacted with customers, and she she put the effort in, right? You and you see these people all the time that you know they're going to stand out and they're going to to achieve. And that's your choice to do that or not to do that.
0: All right. Yeah. That's wonderful advice. And uh, Ian, thank you so much for joining me today. And it is an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest speaker on our show. Thank you for your time and for all the wonderful insights shared. Really appreciate it. Thank you,
1: Navin. Appreciate
0: it. All right. So, folks, before we move into the trivia section, here is a small request to you. In case if you haven't subscribed to us, please subscribe from the app where you have tuned in from. Also, if you have loved this episode and enjoyed the conversation, request you to share with at least three of your friends or colleagues who can benefit from The Guiding Voice. All right, now let's jump into the trivia segment of today's episode. Today, we had a fascinating conversation about uh, unleashing the power of marginal gains. And Ian has shared a lot of tips based on his experience as a sales leader and all. I would like to close this episode by sharing two more tips related to sales. First one is being 30 to 50% of the sales go to the vendor that responds first, which means responsiveness is a key skill in sales. But we need to keep in mind that speed alone is not good enough. We have to be quick while providing a quality response, which means we cannot take a risk of not answering all the prospective questions. All right. Now, the second one is 80% of the sales require five follow-up calls after the meeting. But you know, 44% of the sales reps give up after their first follow-up and just because you have got a foot in the door that doesn't mean that you have closed the sale. We have to be persistent and do everything you can to stay connected with the prospect post your initial meeting then you can win the deals. Likewise you might have many sales tips and in case if you have any profound advice please uh, comment on the social media platforms where you have found this episode or you can comment on the youtube video in addition to that you can also reach out to me through social media or email me at the guiding voice for you at gmail.com in addition to that if you have any speaker recommendations or topic suggestions feel free to reach out that's all for today and thank you so much for joining me. Friends, I'm your host, Navin Samala, just a fellow IT professional on a mission to shape the careers and lives of millions across the globe. Until next time, bye-bye. See you all in the next episode.